help us be greater, better, stronger, smarter, more led by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in the 21st century as they were in the first century. So if you'll turn in your Bibles uh, to Acts the 17th chapter, we're going to see how Paul found his visitation, if you would, to the church at Thessalonica. And now while you're turning, I'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to open your word and learn from it what you'd have us to know of the word of God and to guide us and help us be more of what you want us to be in the 21st century. If you were faithful to Paul in the first century, we trust and believe that you will be faithful to your people in the 21st century and guide us through your two witnesses, the word and the spirit. So guide us in every way this hour and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we find that Paul, as he was traveling the countryside in the first century, the book of Acts kind of, he makes three different missionary journeys. And of course, he started in Jerusalem and went one journey back, two journeys back, three journeys. And then, of course, he died at the end of the third one. And we find that when Paul uh, was doing all this ministry work, everywhere he went on the Sabbath day, the scripture says he went in the synagogues or the churches or the, wherever the church was meeting at that time in somebody's house or wherever it was, he went there and worshipped with those folks in the first century. Well, that's the way it is. And I want to just read the first nine verses of chapter 17, and we'll um, kind of go to keep you up to speed as we go through. It says, Now when they passed through Amphipolis and Al Al uh, Apollonia, yeah, I've never been there, but that's what I think it is. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Isn't that nice? They had a synagogue of the Jews in Thessalonica. How about that stuff? You know, Jewish religion goes all the way back to Abraham. You know, that's hundreds of years B.C. And yet there were people that were still worshiping God the way Abraham did, the way he taught his, and right on down. Okay, so they build a church, a place to worship. So here we go. And Paul, as the manner was, this is his habit, he went in to, unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. He took three weeks to talk to them about it. Isn't that cool? Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the, again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. They didn't even know who Jesus was. They didn't even know that the Christ had come. They were looking for him because they were Jews. Now, let's go to verse 4. And some of them believed. Well, that's, that's good. And consorted with Paul and Silas and the other devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. When, whom Jason 
hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There's, there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city. And when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and, they, and the others, they let them go. All right, now I, I know there's a lot there, and I know it's not something that we've read a lot on or studied in the, the book of Acts, but it was, it's important. Here we find it in verse 1. Paul is on the move. Now, if you'll look at verse 16, I mean, not 16, chapter 16, he was in another city. He was in Thyatira. That's one of the seven churches or one of the seven cities with a church in it that in the Revelation, John the Revelator writes one of the letters to Thyatira, okay? And so as he's moving through this area, everywhere Paul goes, he takes time to preach the word of God. He's kind of like evangelist. He's on his horse and he's going from town to town and preaching the gospel everywhere he goes. And the scripture says that uh, he's following the leading of the Holy Ghost wherever he goes. And there are times when the Holy Ghost says, not here, go there. And you'll read that in the 16th chapter down through uh, uh, verse number 6 in chapter 16. It's not on your list, Mike, but it says that the Holy Spirit forbid him to speak there. But a couple verses down, like in verse 9, he got a vision of Macedonia. He said, the Holy Ghost said, go there. They're waiting on you. See, it's one thing to be a, a preacher of the gospel and go where God tells you to go. It's another thing for the Holy Spirit to go ahead of you and prepare hearts to receive what you're going to say. Amen? So you have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and let God lead you to the places where it's going to be profitable. So Paul was always in his missionary journeys going where he felt the Holy Spirit would lead him and where he could do great things. He passes through a, a couple of cities that we had a hard time pronouncing in verse 1, but then he comes to Thessalonica. Now Thessalonica, we know a lot more about those two cities than the others that he spoke on there. You know why? He wrote two letters to them later. Huh. Did you know we had two letters in our Bible that Paul wrote to the, uh, the Thessalonica church. Amen. First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. Amen. So uh, as we study the book of Acts, we've seen how God worked through the apostles and doing the will of God in their lives and was just as difficult to do it in their day as it is in ours. Not everybody's going to believe what you tell them about Jesus Christ. Amen. Did you know that? There are a lot of people that don't even believe in God. They don't even believe in his son. They don't believe he died and, and rose again. And Paul, everywhere he goes, that's the focus of what he's teaching them. Because it is essential to every Christian that that's the backbone of what the New Testament was all about. So, I always like to say, same devil, just another day in the kingdom of God. So here we have in the 21st century, the same issues they have. We also notice that Paul is the 
called apostle. That seems to be what you'd say is the leader of the group that's traveling around. Now, Paul is not traveling by himself. In this, one, this case, it talks about Silas is going with him. Other times, he's got Barnabas along his side. Sometimes he has Timothy or Mark. There are others that always travel with him, and they talk about those groups, and they're just part, or just the speakers, or just the ones up front, so to speak. But they had crowds that followed them, just like Jesus had followers following him wherever he went. See, they learned it from Jesus, and they were carrying on, if you would, the tradition. But Paul never traveled alone. He was a spokesperson, and that's why um, he traveled, and he traveled with a crowd around him. And it's good to come to church once in a while. You know why? We can learn something. It doesn't matter who's in the pulpit. It doesn't matter whether you're in Sunday school or where you're at. If you come to church with the right attitude, following with the right spirit, you'll learn something. Church is never wasted time. I want you to know that. And maybe it was because of... of Paul's education. We learned much about that. He learned that he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was a Jew among Jews. He learned at the feet of some of the smartest people in the then known world. Gamaliel and some of the other people that were teachers of his. And he felt the calling um, of the Spirit of God to do the teaching he did and was led by the Holy Spirit to do the things he did in the first century for the church. But when Paul arrives in Thessalonica, I'm sorry, Thessalonica, uh, seemingly the first thing he does is find a synagogue where to go. How many of you, when you're on vacation and you come to town, you know you're going to be there for a week or two, first thing you do is get the phone book out or you call uh, somebody and say, uh, where is the church in this town? And so that's what Paul was looking at when he went to look for something uh, when he came into town. In Acts, the 16th chapter, Paul had just been asked to leave Thyatira, but while he was there, guess what? A church sprang up. Isn't that something? There's a church in Thyatira because of Paul. Now, since he's been to Thessalonica, there's going to be a church there. Amen. So he moves on, finds a church, and does what he always does. Went in unto them, the scripture says. Remember, this is a Jewish synagogue. They have a different background than Paul had. Who was Paul called of God to go to? He was called to go to the Gentiles. Amen. The other apostles all were, and Jesus even said, I've come to the Jews not to everyone else. But in his ministry, it led to where others had the open door to be part of the kingdom of God. At first, God was only, if you would, offering it to the Jews. But now it's to whosoever will, ever since Christ died on Calvary. So God has called Paul to minister to the Gentiles. We would call them in some cases the Greeks. That's what it says here, it uses the term Greek. And it was pretty simple in the first century. You was either a Jew or you wasn't. Amen. Now we got about 25,000 different religions you can be a part of, you know, in the 21st century. But in their day and time, you was either a Jew or you wasn't. That's all there was to it. And the Jews had their way of doing things, and they didn't want anybody else telling them how to do it. And no matter whether you was a Jew or not, 
Paul was ready to preach the gospel to you everywhere he went. Once Paul started, the scripture says, reasoning with them about the scriptures, he found out some things about those folks. They did know the Old Testament. They were staunch Old Testament believers. I can probably even, although it's not spelled out, even say that in my mind, I can see all of these people that go to this Jewish synagogue being, if you would, at the Passover when Jesus was crucified. Now we're talking A.D. 51 now, according to what the theologians have put together as a date, and it's as, um, as close as we can figure, and the scriptures that we use here to follow where they are are limited, but mostly in the Old Testament they followed that, and they made a copy of some of the writings of the gospel that they could help those people get along or move forward in their walk with God to know there is another way other than the Jewish way, if you would, or the Jewish traditions that made it hard for them to accept the things that were in the New Testament that the gospel writers had put down about Jesus Christ and the things that even some of them probably witnessed in the Passover when Christ was crucified. All right. Okay, you okay? All right. I thought I was missing something. All right. No, I'm kidding. All right, but here we go. Paul had been there. Paul had done that. In every city he went, he faced this, what you would say, tradition that was really steeped into the Jewish people for hundreds of years. And he had a first-hand look at what was going on and how to get them from the Old Testament to the New Testament. How did Paul know how to do that from firsthand experience? Does anybody ever reading, remember reading about Paul's trip to Damascus from Jerusalem to Damascus right after Christ had risen from the dead? Guess what happened? A light shined out of heaven, brighter than the noonday light. And guess what happened? It blinded him, drove him to his knees, and he heard a voice, and he was submissive to that voice. It was the voice of Christ, and he gave his heart to Christ there. So when that all took place, they had to lead him by the hand to finish his trip to Damascus. It wasn't that far, just down the road. They took him down there, and when he got there, three days, he was without sight. And God moved on a guy there named Ananias and said, go down and pray for Paul uh, that he might receive his sight. He's a chosen vessel of mine. Ananias is a, you know, you know, sometimes we have to look at God and scratch our head and say, are you sure, God? I've heard a lot about that Paul guy. He's got letters. He can put these Christians in jail. Did you know that? Come on, God, let me inform you. Can I tell you something? There's nothing you have to inform God on. Amen? So that'll save you a lot of time when you pray. When you're praying to God, don't pray as though God doesn't know what you're talking about. Assume he does, because he does, 
and pray that he will intervene in the situations. Amen? So here we got Paul with a firsthand experience of what it's like to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, Ananias prays for him. He receives his sight back and he gets a vision of being uh, apostle of Christ. Amen? So one thing we need to read into the scripture, it's another thing for the scriptures to read into us. Amen? Being Jews in this town and synagogue, their knowledge of Jesus was limited because of their traditions. They didn't go to church on the Sabbath day and sing songs about, oh, how I love Jesus, or Jesus is the victory. They didn't know anything about those songs. They had the Old Testament traditions they held on to, and they uh, lived by them as best they could, but they didn't realize there's more to it than that. So when they're, as their tradition and knowledge was limited, uh, in verse 3, Paul said he was opening and alleging. Now, I don't know whether you know what opening and alleging means. In other words, he was expounding on, you guys, what you believe is good. But there's more to it than that. You know, there's a second story. There's another page two uh, to what's going on here. And uh, the Jews, they were looking for a Messiah, but for somehow they missed the fact that he had came. He was right in front of them. They probably rubbed shoulders with him in Jerusalem during the Passovers and missed why he came and what he was doing for. Uh, he must, uh, the scripture says, because what they were looking for, Paul says this is it. You know why? He must need suffer. Amen. Now the Jews were looking for a Messiah. And they wanted someone to come and if you would, destroy the Romans and destroy everybody else and set up a new kingdom in Jerusalem or wherever he was going to set it up and have what you'd call an earthly kingdom to the kingdom of God. That's not God's plan. God said that he was going to set up a spiritual kingdom. And Paul, everywhere he went, took the opportunity to try to explain to those that were stuck in their tradition, the Messiah did come. And if even though you missed it, so to speak, because you were looking in the wrong place, he's already been here. He's already suffered. He's already died. He's already arose again and ascended back to the right hand of God. And he is already working in the people that will allow them, allow Christ into their hearts. Amen? So Christ has already suffered the cruel mockings. Christ has already suffered the, the scourgings. Christ has already suffered the crucifixion. And then the part that they struggled with, he rose from the dead. Now, when he rose from the dead, that was the first day that started after the Passover. Most of the people in Jerusalem had already made plans to hide out of town and get back home. Amen? But when Christ came out of the grave, he originally just appeared to the apostles. He didn't appear in the temple, and he didn't appear to the high priest and, and Herod. Say, na, 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 you tried to kill me, and you can't do it. No. He appeared to his apostles and told them to take the message throughout the world. Amen? So as they do this, uh, all the things that's going on, many of uh, Jesus' followers and close friends got to see it firsthand, but not all the Jews. And so it was hard for them to grasp 
the knowledge that this actually took place and it was the Messiah they were looking for. Amen? It was the important uh, godly miraculous event that was supposed to take place and yet because it wasn't done in the tradition they were thinking it would be done, they missed it. So now, here's Paul, three weeks later, opening and alleging their minds on this historical fact that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 4 of what we read to you, just like the other cities and towns that Paul had traveled through, with this new revelations of God's working, some of them believe, Scripture says in verse 4. Isn't that something? Some of them believe. Amen. You would think, as if someone took three weeks to explain something to you, he knew everything that you, all your traditions, he knew everything about your sin, he knew everything about your religion, he knew everything about where you came from and brought you up to date step by step how God was working. And some of those people had already heard those rumors. Some of them even may have been in Jerusalem when it actually took place. I'm sure the Passover, the year after Christ rose from the dead. They were all on pins and needles waiting for something else miraculous to happen. You know, and the traditions carry on from time to time. You know, in the Passover that Jesus was crucified in, the Bible says a lot of the people just came to that Passover, not because they were supposed to as good Jews. They came because they heard he raised Lazarus from the dead, and they wanted to come see Lazarus. Huh, isn't that something? They didn't want to come to see Jesus. They came to see, I want to see that guy that was dead for four days. Oh, man, I bet his hair's falling out. Oh, man, I bet he's in trouble. I bet his eyesight's even getting bad. They came to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They knew to look for miracles, and when they happened right in front of them, they, oh. That's why their foreheads are flat and their noses are crooked. Amen. Amen. Well, as I read this, my heart is rejoicing and knowing that God was sending a revival in the hearts of these folks that had studied the scriptures for years, but let the traditions and their preconceived ideas hold them back from following the truth that God had for them. Amen? It held them back from, if you would, knowing the full truth. They knew the beginning truth, but not the full truth because they hadn't followed through. That's still true today. Someone that has been raised in a denomination or has been raised by, if you would, people that speak a lot of things about God and really aren't in tune, if you would, with the, the ministry that God has for us in the 21st century can say things. I know that for a fact. My mom, I love her, and happy Mother's Day, Mom. She's gone. But she always said, cleanliness is next to godliness. I have read the whole Bible, and I can't find that. It's, well, I'm not saying it's not true, but it's not what God taught. Amen. Amen. Well, now that's true for her, but I'm a mechanic, and I can't get nothing done unless I get dirty. But nonetheless, we find that mom would always say things, and I tried to pin it. I talked to her. I don't know how many. And when she'd say that, I would always say, where did you learn that? And she didn't have any idea where she learned it. 
I said, well, it's not in the Bible, so you had to learn it from somewhere. Well, we've got people today that learn other things that they say, and they want to say that's the truth they know. Well, that might work in some cases, and it might it may be true, it may not be true, but we have to be open to the Word of God and the Spirit of God as they try to teach us truth. For today, many people accept works as part of their conversion. Rather than accepting Jesus Christ and the suffering and resurrection as the solid truth of the gospel. There are people that think they're going to go to heaven because they did this work, that work, this took that, did whatever. You could name it. But yes, we hear the historical fact even read and believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave but still trust in our feelings our emotions and we trust them even sometimes over the truth we hear from the word of God and the spirit of God saints we need to follow the two witnesses wherever they lead us and they want to lead us all the way to heaven even if it directs us in a path of our ancestors taught or whether they were right or not. We need to follow what God's teaching us rather than the traditions we picked up along the way and know the truth of God's word and God's spirit. Amen? If truth causes a division in the church, make sure you stay on the right side of that truth split. By show of hands, how many of you have lived through a church split? Yep, been there, done that, haven't we? Amen. So what you have to do is understand why is the controversy? You know what? Everywhere Paul went, three weeks later in this case, there was a church split. Many believed and many got mad. Amen? Well, let's find out what's going on here. So, and look at verse 5, and it says, but, uh-oh, many believed, but the Jews that believed not, those that were on the wrong side of the truth, when the Holy Spirit revealed it, they were moved with envy. The everyday Bible says that they were jealous. And jealousy was eating them up, if you would. Amen. Let me, I can read that from the everyday. I got it right here. Verse 5. Da, 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 da. Do, do, do. Maybe I got it. But some of the others became jealous. So they got some evil men from the marketplace and formed a mob and started a riot. <laughs> well, isn't that something that the church needs to be totally involved in? Hello? Come on. Yet, that's what happened in the first century. Well, well, how about that? Amen. Get us a mob, start a riot, and that'll straighten everything out. No, I don't think so. Amen. I've seen it in churches as well as in the world I live in. All it does is divide God's people into truth, into groups, and the truth becomes clouded in the people's minds that don't understand where God's trying
trying to direct them. Amen. They set the city in an uproar, it says. Amen. We've got cities in our country. We've got cities all over this world that are in total uproar. I'm amazed that when I turn on the world news, what's going on in other countries, then I go, there it goes again. Amen. They went looking for Paul and his followers to get even with them for the problems they caused in Thessalonica. Split the church. Well, if truth will split it, I say let her splinter. Let's get it right and let's move forward. So when they went looking for him, he had been staying at a fellow's house named Jason for the three weeks he had been in town. Of course, the scriptures tell us that um, Jason was a pretty good guy. Of course, you have to read some other places to find all the, of Jason's life that took place. So rather than uh, waste a crisis, they attacked Jason. Because he let Paul, Silas, and some of those Greeks stay at his house. Can't waste a crisis. We got to get somebody and put him in uh, turmoil or tear him up somehow. So the, what they accused Paul and his people of doing is upsetting the world. They turned the world upside down. You know, sometimes the world's going the wrong way. And it needs to be turned upside down. We got to do it in a way where the Holy Spirit leads and we need to do it in a way that it draws other people to Christ, not just to tear up things that are going on all around us. Well, if the world is going the wrong way, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to turn them around and get them straightened out. What was their issue with the leaders of Christ? Well, they had a lot of them. They were accused of teaching that Christ was a new king. Isn't that something? Was he? Yes, he was. He was the new spiritual king, not the literal king. And they got in trouble because they were saying, oh, it's because they want Christ instead of Caesar's decrees. No, no, no. That Caesar ain't got nothing to do with it, guys. Come on. We've had kings and kings and more kings over the last 2,000 years, and they ain't changed the world a whole bunch in any direction they want to change it. Amen. But in this, I was astonished to know that they had a lot of things that they wanted to do as Paul was traveling around. Do you know that Scripture even says that when poor Paul went there, that the Holy Spirit told him, don't ever speak in Asia again? How many of you know where the dividing line between Europe and Asia is? Huh. It's called the Continental Divide, and it follows the Ural Mountains through Russia. Did you know that? Well, I didn't either until I sat down and figured, i got to figure this thing out. If he's not allowed to preach in, in Asia, he's only allowed to preach in Europe, i got to know where the dividing line is. So I studied and found out. Amen. Do you know that Russia is the only country in the world, according to what I was reading, that's in two different continents? Huh. 77% of Russia is in Asia. And 23% of Russia is in Europe. Did you know that? See, it's good to come to church. Look what you can learn. And that 23% of Russia makes up 40% of Europe. Wow, that must be a big place over there full of snowballs because it runs all the way up to the North Pole. Hey, man, it's cold over there. But man, 
if we just study what God's word will teach us along the line, we can pick up some things. Amen. So, but getting back to this, they were accusing Paul of trying to upset Caesar. Now, remember now, these guys are in Europe, and Caesar is big in Europe. He ain't got any authority in Asia, but that's not where they're at. Amen? You can say maybe our, our president has a lot of authority in the United States, but he ain't beans when it comes to Russia or anywhere else in the world. They don't pay a bit of attention to him because he has no authority there. And so what they thought he was trying to do is do away with Caesar's authority. Man, we're paying all these taxes to Caesar, and you're saying he's not our king anymore? Well, if we're supposed to pay taxes to the king, maybe we ought to pay them to Jesus. But he ain't here. No, his spirit is, uh, is what's leading us in, in the day and time what they're talking about here. And he's, we need to get away from those worldly traditions that Caesar's teaching and get back to our spiritual guidance from God. You see, there's a difference between spiritual guidance of the world and spiritual guidance of Christ. Can I tell you what that's called? It's called the Battle of Armageddon. They're fighting for the seat of your heart. The world wants to live in your heart, and the Spirit of God wants to live in your heart, and that battle is raging day after day after day. And guess what? The one you choose to follow is the one that gets to live there. Isn't that something? Amen. I like to tell that to Valor. I always tell him, isn't that something? Amen. When the church becomes spiritual, the city notices it. Because the city will lose its power over the people if the people find a new avenue for their allegiance. Jesus Christ. Did you know that? You know, most of the battles we have with the authorities that are over us is over two things, power and money. That's what all of them want. They want power over you, and they want you to pay them the money that's in your pocket. Amen. Well, Paul finds uh, himself, if you would, in our day and time saying, now he's between a rock and a hard place wanting to help the believers in Thessalonica and wanting to stay out of trouble with those that don't believe what he taught and those of the city leaders. Not so much for his sake, but he's got a whole group of followers that go everywhere he goes. Amen. I think sometimes Jesus avoided places and problems and situations, not for his sake, but for those behind him. Amen. When they went to the garden and arrested Jesus, who'd they arrest? Hello? Where'd the followers go? They hit the bushes and gone. Amen. They weren't after them. They wanted to capture the leader, if you would. Amen. When Jesus met the, the woman at the well in John, the fourth chapter, and what did he do with the disciples? He sent them into town, go get something to eat. They were at McDonald's having Big Macs while he was visiting that well when the lady from Samaria came to give him a drink of water. Huh? Why? He's protecting those followers. Amen. Now, he was probably just as hungry as they were. But he sent them into town to get something to eat. When they came back, they were surprised that he still hadn't had anything to eat. They tried to get him to eat. He said, I got meat to eat you know not of. Amen. Winning souls was more important to him than lunch at McDonald's. Amen. 
He wanted to do the right thing. Amen. Well, what's Paul supposed to do? He's supposed to protect those that are following him, Silas and all the Greeks. And yet the city's coming out, and what do they want to do? They want to treat him as bad as they did in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. Amen. So he moves on to the next stop, and the Holy Spirit is leading him along that way. And as he goes, he's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he writes a couple of letters back to Thessalonica. And you and I have a copy of them in our Bible. It's First and Second Thessalonians. Now, did they have problems in Thessalonica? You better say, I reckon. And did Paul kind of deal with them? You better say, I reckon, because he's recorded them. We've got them. We don't have to guess about them. Amen. Now, everywhere Paul went, he was interested in doing uh, a work there in that city, and he wanted churches to pop up and carry on the truth of the gospel. And next Sunday, Lord willing, I'm going to get into the letter of the Thessalonians, and I'm going to read that to you and show you how Paul used that trip that we're reading about today and how he wrote letters back to them to get more of those Thessalonians to believe in what Paul told them when he was there face to face. Amen. But when he was there for three weeks, he didn't have much influence because the city was all after him, trying to stab him and push him and kill him. Amen. But now after the dust settles and he writes a letter back to the church, guess what they can do? Same thing I'm going to do next Sunday. Stand and let's read from Thessalonica. Right? That's what they were doing on the next days after Paul's gone. And they still have the word to go back to, and they're going to learn more of what the word and spirit have for them because they were willing to listen to what they have going on in Thessalonica. Today, how about us? Are we still full throttle and following the truth and know about our King, Jesus Christ? Or has the world... And its traditions caused us to search out a path of least resistance. You see, everywhere Paul went, a New Testament church sprang up. A letter of encouragement was written that we could learn more of the truth that God has for them through those teachings. Some of those churches were just small churches in small towns. Galatia, Colossae, Philippi. Ephesus, and some of those uh, churches Paul was in was instrumental in starting big churches. Corinth and Rome, those were big cities. They were commerce cities. They were cities uh, well established, and guess what happens when you're more established and got more people in your city? The more people you got, the more issues you'll have. Amen? I don't know why that is, but everybody has issues. What we need to get is beyond our issues and get to the truth. You know why the, the Roman letter and the first and second Corinthians are so big? More issues, more problems. You know why Colossae is kind of short? Hmm, they accepted the word and didn't need to be, if you would, straightened out as much. So we have the advantage of learning from their mistakes. Amen. You need to learn how to learn from someone else's tragedies and mistakes. Amen. I learned a lot of things by other people. 
I don't remember my dad without having a cigarette in his hand. I was, I don't know when, how old I was, how old he was when uh, I started noting that. But every time I re think of my dad, I see him with a cigarette in his hand. Now I believe that that cigarettes damaged him and his physical body. I even testified yesterday in the men's meeting, I think that took 25 years off my dad's life. He died a young man lots of years ago. And I just figured in my brain, and I prayed about it and said, huh, if that took 25 years off of my dad's life, huh, Maybe I shouldn't follow that pathway. So I won't do that. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to take that habit up. And besides that, look how much money it's going to save me. I should be driving a new Corvette instead of a Honda CRV. But nonetheless, uh, I'm just thankful that the Holy Spirit can show me by other people's mistakes not to go that way. Amen. You can apply that to any other tragedy that you've witnessed in other people's lives and how it's affected them and how it's affected the church. And we need to say, I'm not going that route. Amen. So I asked the Holy Spirit, should I follow that tradition? And the Holy Spirit told me, my body is to be the temple of God. And don't do anything to harm it. It said that in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. There must have been people that were harming their body in Corinth that Paul remembered, so he wrote it down, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 16, Know ye not that you're the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Amen. So we need to learn from mistakes that we've made, learn from mistakes others have made, and walk in the truth that God has for us. Amen? Amen. Now, if others need that advice from the Holy Spirit, from Paul's writings, I did, I know that, and I wanted to follow that. Amen. So you need that same admonishment too. Isn't it great that it's written down? You don't have to take my word for it. Amen. It's right there, black and white. Amen. And what God says, no man can erase. It's right there, black and white. God trusts his word so much, he wrote it down. You don't have to guess. It's right there. So seek the truth. Follow the truth all the way to your salvation of your soul and your spirit. And have a happy Mother's Day. Because the church is the mother of us all and it's the mother of our soul and our spirit. There's not a mother out there that wants the worst for their child. Not a one. I can't name a one that does that. They all want their children to have it better than they had it. Amen. Isn't that, isn't that your goal you hear all the time? Sure. Amen. So let's just take the advice we can get from the scriptures, from the word and the spirit don't let the Battle of Armageddon get up here and beat you around in your brain and say you need to follow the way of the world. You need to follow the way of the Word and the Spirit and do the truth that God is teaching us. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy. Just worth it.